Good morning. My name is Andy Callis. I'm the student minister here at Cape Bible Chapel. And um, I want to begin this morning actually with introducing you to one of our students. And his name is Adam Easton. Many of you know Adam. And uh, yeah, got to give him a woo. My hands. Hello, Adam. Get a microphone for you. Um, I've gotten to know Adam over the last couple years, and some of the things that I've uh, grown to know and love about Adam, uh, there's two things that stand out to me. One is Adam is an obedient guy. Uh, you ask Adam to do something, and usually he'll just be like, okay. He's kind of got a patented, okay, and he just does it. And the other thing that's awesome about Adam is Adam is a risk taker. And so you can see how those two things in combination can be pretty neat. Like if, we, if you're with him at camp, you're like, hey, Adam, will you do this? He'll be like, okay, hey, Adam, I want you to jump off a 10-story building. Trust me, you'll be fine. Huh, sure. And so it's, it's really cool because I don't really have those two things. So I admire that about Adam. In fact, I told Adam, I said, Adam, I need you to stand up here in front of hundreds of people on Sunday morning. And uh, I, I asked him if he was willing to do that. And Adam, what did you say? Okay. He said, okay. And I said, but Adam, the only thing is that you don't know kind of might be a problem for you is I'm going to have you come up here and I'm going to have you blindfolded and I can't tell you what I'm going to have you do. And Adam said, okay. See what I'm saying? Adam said, okay, I can do that. So um, I'm going to blindfold you, Adam. And again, this has not been rehearsed. Adam does not know what he's going to be doing. And that's why this is going to be fun for us, but maybe not him. So, Adam, if you can see, I'm sure you would tell me, right? Yep. Okay. All right, can you see anything? My feet. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Better? Yep. Okay, just keep your eyes closed and we should be okay. All right, this morning, Adam is going to go through a, a series of challenges blindfolded. Okay, and here's the deal, Adam, you're going to have to trust me in these because obviously you can't see, okay? So we're going to go through three different challenges. You ready for this? Sure. Okay, I figured you were. All right, let's go over here. Okay, now I want you to spin around about five times. Not too fast. Okay, stop right there. Okay, all right, stay right there, Adam. And Adam, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you walk across the stage and um, what you're going to have to do is, obviously, you're going to have to listen to my voice if you're going to make it over here. You're going to have to listen to my direction, and I will guarantee you there's at least one obstacle that has spikes on it between me and you. It's kind of like spikes, but not. No, okay, it doesn't have spikes, but there's one obstacle between me and you, but I promise you, if you listen to my voice and you heed my instruction, you will make it over here safely. And on top of that, I actually have a reward for you, Okay. You, if you can't see it, guess what value it is, okay? Um, okay, so Adam, are you ready for this? Do you trust me? Sure, sure. okay. <laughs> All right, Adam, I need you to walk uh, forward. And stop right there, okay? I need you to sidestep to your right about two steps. There you go, okay, I need you to walk forward again. Okay, stop right there. Okay, sidestep to your left. Okay, one more step. There you go. Now I need you to walk forward. Just keep walking forward. Keep walking forward. Stop. Okay, keep walking forward. 
And you're there. Good job, Adam. Very nice. Give him a hand. Here's your reward. Okay. It's just a piece of paper. Okay. All right. Over here, Adam. All right, challenge number two. All right, stand right here. Okay, so Adam, you came to summer camp. <laughs> you came to summer camp this year, right? Yep. Okay. Um, anything stand out to you about summer camp besides all the great things that we did and things that we saw? Like something that maybe actually struck fear in your heart. I had to eat a spider. Say it again. I had to eat a spider. Was it dead or alive? It was alive. Okay. Uh, if you know Adam very well, you will find out that the only thing that I think he's afraid of is spiders, and he had to eat a live one. Okay, so this morning, Adam, in light of that, um, I'm going to have you eat a creature. I'm going to have you eat a creature. I'm just going to leave it at that. But you have to believe and trust me that you're going to like it. Why are you laughing? He thinks it's going to be fun. Okay. Okay. And I don't want you to touch it. I just want you to simply open your mouth and trust me enough to let me just deposit this thing in your mouth and I want you to eat it. Adam, do you trust me? Yeah. Okay. All right. You ready? You're going to trust me. You are going to enjoy this. Okay. All right. Open up wide. Have my mouth open for a while now. Okay. <laughs> Real wide. It's big. Okay, good job, Adam. It was a gummy worm. It's a creature. Okay. okay, Adam, all right, nice job. Okay, last challenge that I have for you. I want you to back up here to the edge of the stage. Okay, um, not that far. Okay. All right, take a little step forward. Okay, you're good right there. Okay. Well, that's close enough to the edge for me, okay? He's blindfolded and he's worried. All right, all right. okay, so Adam, you know how to do backflips, right? Wait a second. You know how to do backflips, right? I can off of some things. Okay, so if you off of an elevated platform to a lower platform, can you do a backflip? Is there water under me? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> there are people at work right now, possibly, to assist you. No, there's not water under you, okay? <laughs> All right, but here's the thing. I need you, I know this sounds crazy, but I need you to trust me. I know that you can do backflips. Okay, that's the only thing that you need to be skilled at right here, okay? What I need you to do is I need you to do a backflip from the stage, and there's four steps, by the way, that you're going to have to clear. You're going to do a backflip blindfolded down to the floor. How do you feel about that? Um, I don't think I can do it. Trust me, I guarantee you, though, there is 0% risk. I guarantee you I've made a way where there's no way that you're going to get hurt. Okay. I promise Okay? Okay. So I just attempt a backflip? Okay, well, hang on. Don't do it yet. <laughs> okay, so the way that this is going to work is I'm going to say one, two, three, jump. Okay? And on jump, you're going to jump. So you're not going to jump on two, you're not going to jump on three, you're going to jump on jump. Okay. Okay? All right, so we're going to do one, two, three, jump. You got it? Uh, oh, wait, so I'm jumping, not doing a backflip. No, when I say jump, you're doing a backflip down to the floor behind you. 
Now here's the thing though, you have to full, if you don't fully commit, you're gonna get hurt. I'm gonna promise you that, but you have to fully commit to it. You have to decide right now, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna fully commit, Andy has promised me, I can trust him, right? Right. Okay, stay right there. Okay, so it's on jump, right? Yep. Okay. All right, you ready for this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> One. Two. Don't jump. <laughs> All right, give Adam a hand. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. You can be seated in safety. If there was one word that I could use to describe what Adam just showed up here, it's stupid. No, it's not stupid. <laughs> it's faith. It's faith. Adam had a lot of faith in me, blindfolded. He couldn't see what was going on. And I asked him to do some things, some a little bit harder than others, but yet he trusted me, I think. I, he was going to do that backflip. I'm pretty sure that he was. Um, so yeah, so we're talking about faith today. We're talking about faith and we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, and Abraham was known as kind of the man of faith, kind of the model character for faith that we look at in Scripture. And so we're going to be looking at his life and, and find some principles that we can apply to our own so that we can be people that trust God and we're full of faith. Um, first of all, let's define faith, and this is kind of neat because you don't always get just a straight definition in the Bible um, of different theological words or terms or biblical terms. You have to kind of piece things together. Well, for faith, we actually have a definition straight in the word, and it's in uh, Hebrews 11.1. It gives us a straight definition of faith, and here's what it says. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So there's two parts to it, being sure of what you hope for. I know it's going to happen. I'm hoping for it. I know it's going to happen. Being certain of what I don't see. I don't see it, but I still am confident that this thing is going to happen. Um, other translations use other words. Some of the other words that are used for sure are confidence. I'm very confident this is going to happen. Confirmation, that I'm so confident this is going to happen, it's already been confirmed to me that it's going to happen. I'm that sure about it. Um, that it's a firm foundation, that I can rest my life on it. I can bet on this. This is going to happen. Other words for certain are conviction. Um, I'm not just certain, I'm convicted. It changes my life, I'm so sure, that, and I believe that this is gonna happen. Um, perceiving as real fact what hasn't been revealed to the senses is another term used for certain. I don't see it, but I am 100% sure that this is gonna happen even though I can't see it. So faith is surety, it's confidence, it's assurance, it's conviction, and it's certainty in the unseen things and promises of God. That's faith. So do you have faith? We're in a church, of course I do. It's, it's hard to have faith. It's hard to have faith um, in God. It's hard to have faith in our society because in our Western culture, it's kind of like where science dominates. Man, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. If it's not physical, if I can't experience it with my senses, then it doesn't exist or it's not real or it's not important. So do you have faith? And how do you get faith? Let's look at that first. Where does faith come from? Faith is not something where you just muster it up. You're like, I'm just going to try harder and I get some faith. I'm just going to muster this out. It doesn't work that way. Um, faith is a gift from God. If you have your Bible, you can flip it open to uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And we're going to see where does faith come from. 
All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's kind of the key verse. For by faith you have been saved. By, I'm sorry, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So by faith we believe that we were dead in our sins. By faith we believe that Jesus came and he rescued us and he made us alive from our sins and our dead life. By faith we believe that he has blessed us richly. And that faith does not come from ourselves, it says in verse eight. The ability to be able to come to that conclusion is because God has intervened and given you the gift of faith. So it's a powerful thing, it's a gift from God. Our main character today, Abraham, he was much like us, dead in trespasses and sin. Um, He was from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And the thing that's interesting, as I was looking up some stuff about this, is archeology span shows that this was like kind of a sophisticated place for way back when, okay? Uh, this was a place where a lot of people lived in two-story homes. They had courtyards, they had fountains, they had fireplaces, they had sanitary systems. They had schools in their neighborhoods for learning. They had churches in their neighborhoods for people to worship. So this was a place that was pretty upscale, But the other thing that we know about Ur of the Chaldeans is we know also, too, that it was a pagan city, that they they worshiped false gods, they worshiped idols. Um, In Joshua 24.2, it says that Terah, who was Abraham's father, he was an idol worshiper. He worshiped false gods. Everything we know about sociology and common sense tells us, hey, your dad has a big influence on you. And hey, your neighbors and the culture that you're in has a big influence on you. So there's no reason for us to think, well, Abraham was special. He, kinda, he was the only one that was worshiping God, and everybody else was a bunch of pagan idol worshipers. It wasn't, it wasn't that way. Uh, we don't know for certain, but we can assume that Abraham was serving other gods and idols just like everybody else. But it says in Nehemiah 9-7, declares that God chose Abraham and he called him out. And he gave him that gift of faith. And as we look at Abraham's faith, we're going to find in places, and I didn't know all this until I started studying for this message, but Abraham struggled with faith a lot, which always gives us hope, right? Because we struggle with that too. And we find that, in fact, God called him out twice. The first time, he kind of had partial obedience. This is kind of interesting. This is in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 3, and this is when Stephen, the martyr, is giving his um, sermon where he... You know, I feel like I had to cover a lot with these verses. Stephen, like, covers the whole Bible in about five minutes. So he starts out, he's talking about Abraham, and he says that God told Abraham, get out of your country, or I'm sorry, let me back up. It says, before he dwelt in the land of Haran. That was kind of stop number two. When he was in Ur, God told Abraham and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land I will show you, which is pretty crazy. Abraham did it, at least partially. He's like, okay, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna leave. But then he makes a pit stop in Haran, and he brings his dad with him. So he's not fully obedient to God's call. God repeats himself in Genesis chapter 12, and this is the first record in Genesis of God speaking to Abraham, while Abraham is already in Haran. So he's already moved in faith, but maybe not complete obedience. 
God gives him more instruction about what he's gonna do with Abraham and specifically how he's gonna bless his faith. And it says in Genesis 12, two and three, it says that he's gonna make him a great nation, he's gonna make him a great name, and he's gonna bless all of the families of the earth through him. So just like you and I, Abraham wasn't necessarily looking for God, but God showed up and God found him and he called him out, he gave him that gift of faith so that he could believe and follow God and even though his faith maybe wavered at times, God still stuck by his side. So as we look at the entire life of Abraham, we see how he grows in his faith. And we're gonna look at those stages super fast and try to get all the way through it today as we look at Hebrews 11, eight through 22. And that's gonna be where we're at today. So if you wanna flip open to Hebrews 11, eight through 22, that'll be kinda where we're camping out. <clears throat> so number one today, faith forsakes control. Faith forsakes control. Control. When we read verse eight, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Hmm, how could he do that? <laughs> we read stuff in the Bible and we're just like, yeah, I've read this before. How could he do that? I mean, that's crazy that he did that. Um, he had to release total control. He's like, God, I'm in your hands 100%. I don't even know where I'm going, but I'm moving, okay? I want you to, kind of translate that to our day and our age, and let's think of um, maybe how that would play out if, if you were to tell somebody like that. Um, hey, here's what I'm doing, I'm moving, don't know where I'm going, who told you, God told me. Okay, so we've got a guy named Bob and Joe. Okay, Joe's moving, he's moving his family. Bob kind of, you know, he's, he's the neighbor, and he's like, hey, hey, Joe, I see the U-Haul in your driveway. Hey, man, where are you, you guys moving, I guess? Where are you moving to? Well, uh, yeah, Bob, we're moving, um, I'm not real sure where we're going. <laughs> Seriously, where are you, where are you going? Um, I, I really don't know where we're going. Okay. Um, that's kind of strange. Uh, so why are you moving then? Um, well, because uh, God told me to. Okay. Um, how do you know God told you to do that? Well, he, he spoke to me in a voice. Okay. Um, well, well, good luck with that. And um, I'm gonna go inside now. Bob goes inside. He tells his wife and kids, hey, Joe and the family are moving. Cut off all contact with them because they're nuts. They're crazy. They're moving. They don't know where they're going. The U-Haul's out there. They're packing up. I don't know what's going on, but he said he heard it from God, okay? What Abraham did was crazy, but yet he had that faith. He trusted this is God's voice speaking to me. It doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna do it. And a verse that a lot of you are familiar with, Proverbs 3, 5, many people learn in Awana or learn it growing up. Probably all stand up and say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own, what? Understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This didn't make sense to Abraham, but he's like, I'm gonna go for it. And I wonder if Today, maybe you're struggling with giving God total control. Surely not, but, but maybe you are. And maybe it's with something small. Maybe it's something like giving God control of your time. Man, I'm too busy. I don't have time to spend time with God to start a, the spiritual discipline and God wants me to do it. I don't have time. Maybe God's calling you to give up some control of your time. Maybe God is, is calling you to give up control of that thing that you're clinging so tightly too, that's a, really a character flaw, and you're just kind of, yeah, that's just, that's just who I am. I just am a hot-headed person, man. People just know that about me. 
I just, I just kind of a lustful guy. I mean, it's just tough. That's just kind of how society is. I, I'm just kind of a people pleaser. There's nothing I can do about it. I kind of manipulate people and I get loud. I, you know, that's just kind of who I am. Maybe God's telling you, no, you, you don't have to be that way. Why don't you give that control over to me? Forsake control and give it to me. Maybe it's something even bigger and maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or maybe it's a, a job or a best friend, and you know that that person or that thing is keeping you from the Lord and where he wants you to go, but you're still just clinging to it. I want to control this. This is mine. And God's like, would you just trust me? Would you just give up control? Would you just trust me in this? That's what faith boils down to is will you trust him? Will you forsake control? Number two, faith requires composure. Faith requires composure. I could probably skip this point because I know nobody struggles with keeping their cool. Nobody struggles with patience. But the most convicting sermon I've heard from Dan lately was about patience, so this is gonna be, at least for me, I'm gonna go through this, and you guys can observe while I do. Um, A lot of you have seen composure and patience lately on TV, on NBC, last two weeks. What's been going on? The Olympics, right? Who's been watching the Olympics? Most people have seen at least part of it. Um, water polo, probably, right? Um, the Olympics, you think about what these people have done to their lives and to their bodies for the last four years, and we know these gymnasts start when they're two, you know, but I'm saying the last four years they have focused on, I'm getting to the games, I'm gonna put my hope, I'm gonna put my time, I'm gonna put my efforts into getting to the games to win a medal, to be on the team, and that is, they're, they're putting all their time and effort and energy into that, in hopes that they'll make it. And knowing how many top-notch athletes are throughout the world, they're probably not going to. But there's people that are striving. And I think about the people that are at the top or bottom lane of the pool, or the top or bottom lane of the track, those people never win, ever. (laughs) Sometimes they might get second or third, but they don't ever win, you know? And I don't know exactly how that works, but I have a feeling they put the people in contention kind of in the middle. And, um, I think, I wonder if they're ever thinking, okay, there's a 1% chance I'm gonna win this. I've been busting my tail for four years. I wonder if they ever kind of think, man, was it all worth it? Was it all worth it? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this chance. It's not looking good. Was it all worth it? And I bet you Abraham, in the same way, he struggled with that a little bit. God gave him this promise, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, knowing that God spoke to me. It's gonna come true one day, but even though he had that promise, and it was a guarantee, he still struggled. He still struggled with patience. He didn't just wait four years. In fact, God made it clear to him, you're not ever gonna see this promise fulfilled on earth while you're here. It's gonna happen much past your lifetime. In fact, it's gonna be at least 400 years before your descendants even inherit the land that I'm talking about, and they're gonna go through some tough times in Egypt. So it's not gonna be four years, but 400. Abraham struggled with patience, I believe. Let's look at this in Hebrews 11, uh, verses 9 through 10, then I'm going to skip down to verses 13 through 16. It says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Down to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar, were assured of them, They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire 
but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this promise was given to Abraham's descendants. We do know, according to Genesis 24, 1, God blessed Abraham's life the whole way. He's like, you keep walking by faith, man, I'm gonna keep blessing you, even though you're not gonna see the end result. And if he was to see it, would that be faith? Shake your head like this. That would not be faith, because faith does not walk by sight, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? And this is kind of interesting, but in contrast, you know Abraham had Lot with him. You guys remember the story? So Lot is his nephew. Lot's going with him. God's blessing both of them. And pretty soon they have so many herds of stuff, and they have so many possessions and so many servants that pretty soon it's like, dude, this place ain't big enough for the both of us. We got to split up. And so Abraham's like, I'll let you choose. Where do you want to go? And in Genesis 13, 10, what did Lot do to make his decision? Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of the Jordan, and it was lush, and it was looking great. And so Lot walked by sight. He said, I'm going that way. That looks wonderful. You can take that area over there, and we all know what happened to him, right? He ended up going closer and closer and eventually living in Sodom, one of the most wicked cities of its time. God destroyed it, and he made it out by the skin of his teeth. But then we look a couple verses down in Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now. And he showed him from every direction the promised land his descendants would receive. So Abraham waited for God to give him sight. Lot did not. Um, And even, even though Abraham had, you see these strong glimmers of faith and he has this faith Man, still, we talked about earlier, these Olympic athletes having to wait four years, Abraham having to wait to know this isn't even gonna happen in my lifetime. It had to be hard. So what does God do? A lot of times, all we need is a reminder, right? We don't need to hear something new. We just need somebody to remind us of the truth. And so it's interesting, but God actually reminds Abraham of the promise four times. And we're gonna look at Abraham's response each time as he waits longer and longer. Promise number one, this is Genesis 12, 7. God says, hey, your descendants are gonna be great. I'm gonna bless you tremendously. Abraham builds an altar to God. He calls on his name and he worships God. He's like, oh God, you're, you're awesome. Thank you for, that you're gonna do this in my life. Promise reminder number two, Genesis 13, 15, and 18. Same thing, God reminds him. And then Abraham's like, oh God, you're awesome. I wanna build an altar to you. I wanna worship your name because you're so amazing. Promise number three, Genesis 15, 18. Abraham's been hanging out for about 10 years now in Canaan, waiting, childless, kind of thinking this whole descendants thing is not gonna work out unless I have kids. I have no kids. And so when is God gonna show up? God reminds him of the promise again. He doesn't build an altar this time. You don't see him worship this time. In fact, this time, in the ne- right in the next chapter, him and Sarah take matters into their own hands. And like, you know what? We gotta get this promise thing going on our own. So we're gonna get Hagar and we're gonna have a child through her. And that has caused issues ever since. Promise reminder number four, this is Genesis 17, eight and verse 17. Abraham has now been hanging out in Canaan for not 10, not 20, but 24 years. Does he have a kid? No, no kid, still childless, still waiting on God. This time God gives him the say, hey, your descendants, man, they're gonna be great, I promise you. Will you trust me in this? Will you just believe what I'm saying? 
Instead of Abraham falling on his face to worship, he falls on his face to laugh at God. Don't do that, okay? It's a bad move. But that's where he's at. He's been waiting for so long. He's like, this promise is comical almost at this point. What do we know from this? Abraham's a, a model guy for faith. He still struggled with it. And you do too, I'm sure. It's hard to wait. It's hard to stay focused on a future promise even if it's guaranteed from God. And I wonder right now in your own life what you're waiting for God to do. Maybe some of you, you're waiting to have a child. And it's just continual disappointment of, man, we can't have that kid that we are so desperately wanting. And it's hard to be patient and to trust God. Maybe for some of you, it's seemingly unanswered prayers for a lost family member. And just praying that God would just open up their heart and their mind, and it just seems like it's not happening. You keep praying it, keep praying it, keep praying it. It's hard to be patient. Maybe it's continuous hard work because you're trying to be a good steward. You're trying to knock out your debt and you're working hard, and you're doing extra hours, you're making extra money any way you can, and then emergency after emergency after emergency comes up, and you keep losing and losing and losing, and you're like, when is that break ever gonna happen? And you keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting is tough, and God knows that. That's when we cling to promises like Romans 5, three through four. It says, tribulation and trials that you go through, that produces patience. Patience produces character. Character produces hope. And this is a hope that is not gonna disappoint, it says. So God is telling you, trust me. Embrace my word, embrace my promises. Just like the people here in, that walked by faith throughout Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. They didn't just cling to the promises God gave them for this life, but for the next life. You know, no, one day there's not gonna be those trials. One day there's not gonna be those tears. And I can't wait for that place. I'm clinging to that place. Do you trust me? You trust me enough to be patient, to keep your composure. All right, thirdly, we've got faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. Um, our high schoolers, we just recently went on a mission trip to Memphis, and I could talk for an hour about all the cool stuff that we did, and so could they, so ask them about it uh, sometime. But it was really neat what all God did. Um, but one thing that was really cool is we were, from the very beginning of the trip, we were forced to encourage each other. It was kind of tough at first. We were forced to encourage each other. We had team time every night. And when we had team time, um, the people that were there with us, it was an organization called Leader Treks. They said, okay, everybody can choose one bead of encouragement to give to one other person. And there was a red bead for leadership. There was a blue bead for risk-taking and all that stuff. And so they said, if you saw God working in somebody's life today, then you get the appropriate color bead and you give it to them to encourage them. So you get one shot to look somebody in the face and say, I saw God working in your life in this way today. And it was awkward. <laughs> like, I guess I don't encourage people very often. This is kind of awkward at first. But it got contagious, and the more that we did it, the more I saw people doing it and saw, and saw in my own life, I kept, I wanted to be more encouraging as the week went on. And you know what that did? It changed our team. We were unified. We were all driven for the same goal. There wasn't a bunch of complaining going on because it was contagious, in the same way your faith or your lack of faith is contagious too. And we see that in this passage, it's something you might kind of skip over. But we look at verse 11 and we look at verses 20 through 22. It says, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she, she judged him, God, faithful who had promised. Well, who was her husband? Abraham. 
I think there was some carryover there. Down to verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Who was Isaac's dad? It was Abraham. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. Who was his granddad? Abraham. And then last we have Joseph. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Abraham believed the prophecy and the promise that one day my descendants are going to be here, his great-grandson Joseph still believed it and said, I know that I'm probably going to die here in Egypt, but I want you to take my bones and bury them in the promised land because my great-granddad said it's going to happen. So I believe it's going to happen because his faith has left a legacy here. It has transferred down. Abraham's faith impacted his wife, his son, his grandson, his great-grandson. And I wonder about you, who is your faith impacting? Is your faith contagious? We see ways where Abraham's faith, his lack of faith wasn't, or was contagious as well. He laughed, Sarah laughed, okay? He struggled at times, so there's more writing on this than just your life. People around you are impacted by your faith or your lack of faith as well. And I just wonder if your faith is being passed on. I know it's being passed on, but is it being passed on in a positive way? Are you gonna be able to say one day, whenever, if God blesses you enough to live to where you're 80 or 90, that my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, they're all still walking by faith. Not boastfully, but because I decided I'm gonna trust God with my life. Do you trust God? Last point, faith demands counting the cost. Faith demands counting the cost. Um, many of you know I work at, I do personal training uh, a little bit still, used to do it full time, and uh, therefore I've tinkered with terrible ideas like running a marathon, stuff like that, you know. And uh, as I've tinkered with that in my mind, I start to think, hmm, okay, this sounds great. I mean, 24 miles, the last sprint at the end, people are cheering, the crowd's going nuts, there's probably bands playing every mile, you know, and people are cheering for you the whole time, um, you know, getting the whatever they give you at the end, Krispy Kreme donuts or whatever, it's going to be great. And that sounds awesome. But then I start to count the cost a little bit, I start to think, hmm, early morning run on Saturday or ew, Sunday, uh, Running, when I'm getting toward the end of, my, end of my training, running 20 miles for however many hours. Do I want to get up early and do that? Do I want to get out there in the cold and do that, or the heat and do that, depending on when I'm training? And as I've calculated the cost, I instantly say, no, I don't want to do that. So I am not training for a marathon right now. And don't anticipate doing that anytime soon. Because I counted the cost and I decided, you know what, that's going to be too much. I'm not going to sacrifice that much. Well, faith requires that you count the cost, just like Abraham did. What's it going to take to follow God? What will I have to sacrifice? And Abraham was asked to make a huge sacrifice. Let's look at this in the last couple verses here in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from him, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Most of you know the story, but this time 
Abraham in his faith journey, man, he's been walking with God, he's been walking by faith, and he's finally to a place where God's like, I can test him. Let's, let's see what's gonna happen. And I don't know about you, but at this point, and you know the story, um, God tells him, hey, I want you to, to take Isaac up on top of Mount Moriah, your beloved son. He reminds Abraham, this is your beloved son here, in case you forgot, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me. In my mind, if I'm there, I'm thinking, um, but God, well, first of all, isn't murder wrong? I think, didn't you say something about that earlier in a couple chapters ago? And um, God, didn't you say, you said the promise was gonna come through Isaac. I don't know how that's gonna happen if he's dead. So didn't you say that? Yeah, I know that you said that. I I don't get this. But this is amazing where Abraham's faith is at this point in his life. In Genesis 22, verse three, it says, he rose early the next day to get a good start on what God was telling him to do. He's like, I'm doing it now. I'm gonna get up early and make sure that I get this done. He trekked forth for three days with Isaac, undeterred. To get up on top of the mountain, he built an altar. Maybe that altar reminded him of when he was initially putting his faith in God a long time ago. He's getting ready to slay his son, And you see here in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham's like, hey, I might kill him, but God's gonna raise him from the dead. I have that much faith that he's that powerful of a God and he's that faithful of a God. And we see that in the story in Genesis chapter 22, God stops him. And he says, now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son, your only son from me. It's in Genesis 22, 12. It's our sacrifice for God that proves that our faith is real and that our faith means that much to him and to us. And this last point, honestly, is kind of why I'm I'm talking about this today. Something had bothered me for months and my faith just seemed like it was stale and I just didn't know what it was. Um, We went to summer camp up in Michigan and the first night there, I started to feel convicted. I was... I just didn't know what was, I was like, am I not praying enough? I'm not reading my Bible enough? Am I harboring an attitude inside? I don't really completely know what it is. And um, God started to show me what it was. He started to say, Andy, you know, you put your faith in me for salvation well over 10 years ago. You started to really trust me and follow me in college. Andy, when you led that first Bible study in college, you're scared to death, but I was there with you, and you did it. Andy, you led that first disciple now when you were a little bit older in college and you were scared to death, but you did it. Andy, you started doing that Sunday school class for teenagers on a routine basis and and you were scared, but you did it. And I was with you along the way the whole time, blessing you. Andy, you started to do youth ministry bivocationally and you were scared to death, but you did it. And then, Andy, you're full-time youth pastor now and you've been doing that for several years and you were scared to death whenever you took that step of faith but you did it and he, he kind of reminded me have I ever let you down I mean you didn't aim to do really any of that stuff but I was with you along the way did I ever let you down at any step I thought no you didn't in fact just like Abraham you've blessed me tremendously and then he was like why have you not trusted me for the next step When you look back and you see how faithful I've been to you and how faithful I am in my word, why are you not trusting me for the next step? Because unknowingly, I had kind of limited God 
and been like, you know what, God, if this gets too hard, this ministry thing, don't think I won't work at Walgreens the rest of my life, because I will. Don't think I won't cut and run and do something that's easy where I can clock in and I can clock out and I cannot think about it, cannot be burdened by it, because I'll do that. And it was like, God was really showing me that that was kind of thoughts that I was having in the back of my mind and I felt so convicted and tears streamed down my face and I started to think, you know, how can I not be all in for God who is just all for me? And how can you not do that? How can you not do that? How can we all not do that and trust him completely? He's been so faithful. And as I started to do that and I made that decision, I felt like an excitement and a comfort and a peace started to really just reignite my faith in my life. Um, Hebrews eleven six declares, without faith, without a forsaking control, keeping composure, being contagious, counting the cost kind of faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists, that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. So I want to challenge you today. Does your faith look like that? If it's not, man, it can get there. In small steps, trust God for the next little thing. He'll meet there. He'll be there for you. He'll be there with you. He'll trust him. He's worthy of your trust. Um, we are going to close today with uh, communion. And um, as we do that, we are going to, continue to praise God for the fact that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. We trust him for our salvation. We put our faith in Jesus for our salvation, not ourselves. We wanna thank him for that. Also during this time, I would ask that you reflect a little bit. Reflect on some of the stuff I've, I've said. Is your faith contagious? Are you, are you trying to be a control freak and you're not giving God what is his? Um, reflect on those things as we, uh, as we take communion today and um, I believe we're gonna have some music as we do that. But if you guys could, let me pray for you and then um, we'll do that. Father, faith can be a very difficult thing. But God, as we were reminded, faith is a gift from you. It's something that you give us. Um, God, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have God living inside of us through the Holy Spirit that enables us and strengthens us and matures us in our faith. God, help us to give him more control of our lives. Help us to trust you. God, help us to love you enough to, to get our own agendas out of the way and instead, God, to trust you, to follow you with everything that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name.